Morning. It's good to be back in the house of our Lord that we may break the bread of life together once again. Today we'll be in John chapter 20. We'll be finishing out the chapter. And in finishing out the chapter, it's kind of a, a summation of the whole gospel of John. His purpose for writing it. This glorious Christ on full display. His marvelous works on full display. His deity is on full display. All these things were written that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ. It is that salvation is through him. For him, by him, kept by him from beginning to end. In studying for these two verses, uh, you know, Josh, we were going over who was going to do what, and he sends me two verses, and I'm like, what am I going to do with these two verses? <laughs> I looked at some commentaries, and nobody else did a whole lot with those two verses in any of the commentaries, but then we got to. Studying and reasoning together, and then I thought, oh, the depth of these two verses, and I couldn't wait to share them with you. So John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Please stand, if you will, as we give honor to the Word of God. This is the Word of the living God. Let us give our attention. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Merciful Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the Savior that it gives us, shows us who Jesus really was, who he is, who he will ever be. We thank you for the salvation found only in him, that he, and that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, let us give heed to these truths as we work our way through this text. Lord, may it bring glory and honor to you. Let it be manifested in our lives. We love you and we praise you. And it's in Christ's name we all pray, all of God's children said. So we have Thomas... As Josh brought up last week, doubting Thomas, he says, I'm not going to believe unless I see his, the print of the nails and I can put my hand in his side. So Jesus gives him that sign. He says, here it is. Reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here, put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed, which is us. We didn't see it. We couldn't touch his side or see his hands. So this climactic confession leads into the this statement, this purpose of writing this gospel in verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So he did all these signs. The first part of this book is the book of signs. 
all through chapters 1 through 12. It was his ministry, his public ministry, his, his kind of private ministry was to the, to the disciples as he was ministering to him before he was going on to finish his work. He was ministering to them. So this, this public ministry was, was 1 through 12, chapters 1 through 12, and these signs were turning the water into wine in chapter 2. He raised the royal official's son in chapter 4. He healed the lame man at the pool in chapter 5. He fed the 5,000 in chapter 6. He walked on the sea in chapter 6. Peter also did for a minute in chapter 6. Healed the blind man in chapter 6. And then he raised Lazarus from the dead in chapter 11. John points out that these were a selection of signs, that they weren't all of the signs. In chapter 12, John records that Christ had done many signs. Over in chapter 21, verse 25, it says, And there were also many other signs that Jesus did, which if were written one by one, I suppose that not even the world itself can contain the books that it would be written in. Amen. So he, re- he did an innumerable number of signs over and over and over, sign after sign, proving that he was the Christ. He was the Son of God, is the Son of God, I should say. So those who have not seen and will not see the resurrected Lord will depend on this gospel and the other gospels. There's three others. These are the gospels concerning the Christ. This is the word of God that will regenerate the hearts of those that would believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God, Romans 10 tells us. The signs recorded are sufficient. They're enough. They're enough that we may believe that he is the Christ. This is the culmination of Christ's ministry right here. John began with the gospel. It says, in the beginning was the word. He said, in the beginning was the Logos, the word, capital W. He didn't start with in the beginning was Jesus because that would have been an earthly beginning. Like it in the beginning was Jesus, right? It was Jesus from the beginning. But he said, in the beginning was the Logos. More than a mere man. He was God incarnate at this point, in the beginning. And, and the two reasons that he wrote, in the beginning was the Logos. This Logos was a, a term coined by Heraclitus. It, 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 it meant, in a, in a sense, the governing principle of the universe. And John goes on in chapter 1 to say that he created all things. All things were sustained by him. The Gentile would read this, and the, the Greek would say, it would be pointed back to the logic, the logic of all things, the governing principle. The logic of the universe was in the beginning with God. He was what was God. It's weightier. The psalmist says that God lifts his word above his name. Christ. And he was with God. It's in face to face with God. The Word was God. And down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacle, pitched his tent among us, humanity. And we beheld his glory. This marvelous Christ. Then we have the seven I am's of Christ. He said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the true vine. And in the great I am, he says, before Abraham was, I am. And speaking to the Jews, meaning he's eternal. 
from all eternity. He's the I am. So he is this governing principle, the creator. This glorious Christ is and was, will forever be God. He reigns. He is king. It's all his. The scholars would agree, most scholars, this book here, and John was aware of the other Gospels. The others recorded details that John didn't. His purpose was to present a persuasive witness of the person and work of Christ. The love, the deity of Christ, the post-resurrection appearance of Christ would be the greatest signs. His death and resurrection as being the greatest sign of his deity. He is the Christ. He defeated death. All these signs ultimately, what are they for? They're to point the reader. They're to point the reader to God's offer of salvation. This is the object of saving faith, Christ. Not the subject, the object. Christ. We are saved by responding in faith to the biblical Christ. We are trusting. Excuse me, and committing our lives to him as Lord. John and every other book in the whole Bible are pointing to this truth, this object of our faith, object of Christ. That he is the Messiah. In short, that we may believe. That's it. Verse 31. All that to say that we may believe. So the purpose is to believe that, that Jesus is the Christ and, and the Son of God. So what is this to believe, right? Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 to 10. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom all we once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Then in the age to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that, not of yourselves, is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So, we were dead in trespasses and in sins. And John, he, he likens it to being born again, right? He was talking to Nicodemus, and he says... To Nicodemus, the teacher of the Jews, that's a definite, definite article. He was the main guy. He's like, you don't get it. You've got to start over. And Nicodemus was confused. So we're dead. 
needing to be made alive, reborn. Verse 2, are walking according to the unholy spirit. Verse 3, walking in the flesh as children of wrath. 4 and 5, made alive. 6 and 7, seated in the heavenly places with Christ in his exceeding riches of grace. Verses 8 and 9, salvation, grace, and faith, all gifts from God, not of works, nothing in and of ourselves, nothing that we did. Keep this in mind moving forward, not of works, none. His workmanship created or made like him for good works, right? So recreated, made alive, made like him, then capable of works. So is any of this belief our doing? Absolutely not. No. Not one aspect of our, our salvation is our doing. The reason we would have cause to boast, right? Look what I did. I bought, I bought the guy in line behind me his Happy Meal. I did something good, right? So we have a few different views here. The Armenian semi-Pelagian view is that we can somehow activate this salvation, right? We somehow conjure up this faith to believe that, that we have this faith in and of ourselves and we, we somehow decide to make ourselves alive and, and then believe. And then the Holy Spirit does a little and we do a little and working together. And They would agree that Jesus paid for it all and, and that you have to accept accept this and somehow have a relationship that, that God, you know, that we have that term that Jesus wants a relationship with you. Um, this, this is an impotent view of Christ and is, is really nowhere supported in Scripture. In John 6 alone, he says three separate times, this is Jesus' words, he says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. It's will come to me. It doesn't say we have an open invitation and we have this, this weak Jesus saying, I want to be your friend. It's not the case. The all here implies in, in John 6, it implies specifically ones that will come. It doesn't say some, it says all. Then if you somehow made yourself alive in Christ, you must keep yourself alive in Christ via works, right? So you're, you're constantly chasing this impossible goal because it's just impossible. You can't, you can't do it. And they will affirm this, this is not of works, but then they place works squarely back on their own shoulders, saying, I must, I must, I have to do these things. So in that view, we have faith, then regeneration, and then repentance. Right? Salvation must be maintained, and it can be lost. I don't know if it was John MacArthur or R.C. Sproul or both probably that said, if I could lose my salvation, I would have. And it's true. We can't. We can't do it. Thank you. I don't get many of those. Uh, <laughs> and this view really is, is, is robbing God of his glory. It's, it's saying that I'm contributing. I'm, I'm, ma- I'm somehow maintaining this salvation. I've contributed to it. I've made myself alive. And, and I'm somehow maintaining it. You, you, can't, you can't do that. You're, you're boasting 
Whether you know it or not, you, you've robbed God of his glory. Remember Ephesians, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You must do X, Y, and Z to achieve this, right? Nowhere in Scripture. They have a weak God. The God of the Bible is not. He's not impotent. He's all-powerful, omnipotent. And we have what we would label the Calvinist lordship crowd. And they would agree that salvation is the work from beginning to end of Christ. It's the work of Christ. None ours, none whatsoever. And that's true. The Holy Spirit moves on a person, then comes regeneration. Faith immediately follows. Then the law of God convicts this person, and there's repentance. It's almost all simultaneous. It happens quickly. Your mind is, has changed. That, that story of uh, MacArthur, we've mentioned that... Uh, it was, I think it was on an airplane, and he says that the guy was questioning, you know, he, he says, you know, he gets to the topic of he's a pastor, and the guy's like, well, I, I don't get Jonah, you know. You believe that a, a guy stayed in a fish for three days and made it, and he's like, well, let's get to Jonah in a minute. We'll, we'll get to that. But here's the gospel. He gave him the gospel. He's like, now, let's talk about Jonah. He's like, no, 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 if it's in the Bible, I believe it. That was an instantaneous transformation. The guy's like... Well, no, if God said it, yeah, all right. Let's talk about some other stuff, you know. So, the process of sanctification, right, that's big. We talk about that a lot. The, the Armenian crowd, I don't, I don't really hear a lot about sanctification with the Armenian. Um, I, don't, I don't know that I've ever heard of them talk about that. But so, sanctification begins in the believer at this point of, of regeneration, so then the lordship crowd places some of the responsibility of sanctification on the believer. They will say, we must study and pray and study and pray, and in doing so, that we assist in somehow in this process, right? Um, I agree wholeheartedly that we should study and pray, 100%. But it's the work of the Holy Spirit through that, not us. God will accomplish his work in you no matter what. You know, we like to place some of that on other people, too. We like to say, I would like to have seen this in this person a little more, and I would like to say, have seen a little more evidence of this or that. And me, I would like to have seen a lot more in myself. And sometimes you get down, right? The Spirit makes you more like the Son of God. So then you have good works or fruit added to this equation. The Lordship crowd says that saving faith is the determination of the will to submit and obey. You must submit and obey. It's your determination. That's why I don't like the, the last letter of the, the tulip, perseverance of the saints. It's saying that you must persevere. I think it was Sproul that changed it to preservation of the saints. It's Christ. You will persevere through Christ, not not yourself. Then you have the problem that assurance of salvation becomes an issue of how am I doing? I said this. I did that. I must have sunned in my growth. I miss church for three weeks. They're, when I go back, they're just going to judge me all to pieces. I know it. I thought this thought. 
I fell into this sin. Performance-based. And it also affects your walk with other believers. I had mentioned something, and I had a dear friend. He kind of snapped at me, and I didn't understand it. I was like, what's going on? It's not that big a deal, you know? And he says a couple days later, like, man, I've been struggling. And you didn't deserve that. And this is why. He's hanging on to that weight, right? It was dragging him down. And then I realized I do the same thing when I'm dealing with something. It affects my relationship with my brothers and sisters, with my wife, my child. I, I snap. I get angry easy, right? That's what people get put on medication for, for depression. I'm not knocking that. Please don't think that I'm doing anything like that. So the Lordship crowd will affirm this. Saving faith is solely a work of God, but then throw works right back on their shoulders for their sanctification. I didn't do this right, or quite right. They're left with this, we must do, we must do attitude, right? I've got to do X, Y, and Z. At least to doubting our salvation, ultimately. How many of you guys, well, not you guys, I'll just share it with, you know, I've, I've called Richard, like, dude, I'm messed up. I've called Josh, like, how can I be a Christian? How can, how can I be expected to teach anyone when I fail so miserably, Right? Many times, what do they do? They both comfort me with the Word of God. And I'm so grateful for that. So if you both have the, the Armenian crowd and you have the, the, the Lordship crowd, that they, they, take, they both take works, right? You, you're, you're adding works to your sanctification or even, even your assurance. You're saying, I'm, I'm not... The, the, the Lordship crowd would be more of the idea of I'm not worthy, I can't whatever, and then they're, they're downing themselves. They're dragging themselves down. They're adding that weight to themselves. So you're really not a huge leap from an Armenian to a lordship, to the lordship camp there. A proper view is that Jesus accomplished everything for our justification from beginning to end. He accomplished everything for our salvation from beginning to end. He accomplished everything for our sanctification from beginning to end. Hebrews 12.2 calls Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. We are not the co-authors. We don't add anything to that. He is the author and the finisher. Philippians 1, 6 and 7, he says that Jesus, he who began in a good work in us, will complete it. Not, he's, you know, He's going to help you along, and you do a little, and I do a little, and he'll help you complete it. He says he will complete it. He's not working alongside of us. It's not our effort. It's all his effort. We are partakers of grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. These signs and miracles, Christ's resurrection... All in the Gospel of John, pointing that He is the Christ. He is the one. In the Gospel of John, there were no other requirements to believe. 
John 1, 12 and 13. Believe by the will of God. Chapter 1, 49 to 51, Nathaniel believed. 2, 22, the disciples believed. 3, 14 to 18, believers not condemned. 3, 36, believers having everlasting life. 4, 39 to 42, the Samaritan woman believed. 4, 46 to 44, the nobleman believed. Five twenty-four. Hearing and believing, everlasting life. And he goes on and on. Chapter five. The Pharisees were condemned for unbelief. The work of God is to believe. Chapter six. Every chapter of John, except for fifteen and twenty-one, has the word believe in it, whether it's unbelief or believe, both pointing that. The idea is that we should believe. The New Testament, this word appears in it 226 times. Believe. John mentions it 84 times. Acts comes in a really close second at 38 times. Chapters 13 to 16, Jesus wants, he wants us to come. He explains his work. In chapter 17, we have that high priestly prayer. Those who would believe, he says, the ones given by the Father, the ones to come. Chapters 18 and 19, he carries out his work. Chapter 20, he's alive. He proves that he's the Son of God. And all who believe will have eternal life. And then he says in chapter or verse 31, he says, and, all, and that believing you may have life in his name. This is what John is telling us. You may have life in his name. The gospel is that Christ accomplished everything that you may what? Believe. Right? I think I'm going to say it 226 times. There's nothing we can do to add to it. There's nothing we can do to grow it or cultivate it from beginning to end. It's his work. He did it perfectly. He did it completely. It is his faithfulness, his obedience, his perfect devotion to the Father, not ours. He is our justification. No other justification other than him. It's not, I messed up. I didn't do so well today. not performance-based as we like to make it. We do that often. As the song says, my one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. Remember we sing that. Whereas the Lordship view would, would dictate that submission and obedience must occur. The scripture says they will. Big difference. You must, you must. X, Y, and Z, remember? We have to accomplish and, and move and do. But by the Holy Spirit, these things will be present in the believer. It will come. Only by God.
The Holy Spirit gives us new desires, a new affection for the Lord. We have a new desire for the law of God, where before we hated it. It's no longer a burden, but a desire. It's the law that is an expression of the character of God. This is the fullness of who he is. Our desire, which is from God, is to keep his law at this point. It conforms us to the image of his son. This is true sanctification. It's all about his work. It's not ours. Greg Bonson says, The Spirit sanctifies the believer in the likeness of Christ's obedience. Not us. John 17, 17, Christ, praying to the Father, says, Sanctify them, by the, sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. Christ's obedience releases us from the bondage of the law. It releases us from this curse, as Paul calls it, and then turns right around and makes us desire it. It makes us love it. One of the biggest lawbreakers in all of the Bible or uh, well, what's wrong with me? Huh? The Psalms. Psalm 119. David. What's wrong with me? David wrote all of Psalm 119 about how he loved the law of God. Sorry, I had a senior moment there. The love of God. The Lordship crowd. Again, you must, you must. The Armenian, you must, you must. The scriptures tell us we can't, but we will. We are sanctified by the, the virtue of Christ's death and his resurrection. By his word dwelling in us. This body of sin is destroyed. This body has no more dominion over us. Our, our sanctification remains imperfect until, until we go home, right? Then it is complete. Then we are made completely Christ-like. We still struggle in this world. But we still, for some reason, like to carry that burden, right? Place it right back on our shoulders. It's not ours to carry. In Psalm 55. Verse 22, it says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Cast your care upon him. So why is it that we walk around so defeated? We, we focus so much on the negatives and, and what we did wrong. and what we, we can't seem to move past that often. What is, it, what is it to believe to have life in his name? As it says in John 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I come that you may have life more abundantly. More abundant life, right? How do you, how do you have a more abundant life when you're dragging all your, your baggage behind you? What do I do? I failed here. I failed at this. I failed at that. We take this new life in Christ and we attach 
our own merits right to it. Placing his works right back on our shoulders and we try to carry it ourselves. I can't be saved because I didn't do X, Y, or Z. I didn't, I didn't, I failed. I missed the mark. First Peter says, come to him, casting all our cares upon him. We carry it, don't we? We try to carry it constantly. We aren't fully trusting in him. It's sin. That's the first sin. Eve didn't trust the word of God. Right back at that. Let's look at Romans here. Not Romans 9 for you fanboys. <laughs> Romans 8.37 says, Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. More than winners. More than overcomers. You go on. Verse 38 says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor present things nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from his love. Go back up to verse 1 in chapter 8 there. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. No condemnation to those in Christ. Yet we place it right back on our shoulders. None. So what about sin, right? We know we still struggle with sin. What do you do about it? You confess it, as First John says, and you move on. Moving on is the hard part for most of us. Think about this. It was forgiven before you ever did it. It was forgiven before you confessed it, right? So what's the purpose of confessing it? A, because we're commanded to. We will. And B, it's to unload that burden, right? It's almost like how we're commanded to forgive others when, when they sin against us. It's not... It's not for their benefit that we forgive them. It's for our benefit. We're unloading that from ourselves. We're taking that burden. As one person had said, that if, if you don't forgive someone, if you're still angry with someone, they own you. And most of the time, they don't even know it. In this case, we own ourselves because we, we don't unload it. Keep walking, defeated, carrying that burden. Hebrews 12, it likens the, uh, the Christian life to a race. The writer says to lay, away, lay aside every weight and the sin which slows us down. It's not our burden to carry. It's not ours anymore. He says, run your race looking only to Christ. I had... Uh, the guys I work out with, we always have prayer afterwards, and they take prayer requests. And they said, do you have any prayer requests? And I said, well, I've, I've entered a race in North Carolina. Um, 
I would prefer not to get hurt, and I would like to do well, you know, uh, if if at all possible. And one of the guys says, why don't you call it an, an event instead of a race? And I said, well, you know, first of all, I'm a man. And uh, I don't, I'm not going to enter a race to just finish it. Um, I would like to do well. And I can go run in the woods outside of my house for there's thousands of miles of trails here if I just wanted to do an event. But, but it made me think, you know, when I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to carry much. You know, these guys are like, do you have, you know, it's up a mountain. They're like, do you have those, you know, those walking sticks? Do you have a camelback? Do you have this? I'm like, no, that weighs. That's, that's weight. I'm not carrying that. I'm carrying a bottle of water and some Pop-Tarts. We'll see how it plays out, right? But I'm unloading. I'm only taking what's necessary for me to finish. Lord willing, I'll finish. I hope to finish in front of a few people. I know I'm not going to win unless a lot of people have a bad day. I'm old. It's the reality of it. One difference, though, I don't think the guy that or the lady that, that wins is going to walk back to all of us and say, you're all winners because of what I did. But that's what Christ did. Dear friends, we've already won. Christ made the way. Our only hope is in him. We've got one job to finish. Why? Because it is finished. Our victory is Christ. Our reward is Christ. Our everything is Christ. I'll leave you with this. Do you believe? Is His grace sufficient from beginning to end? Or are you still carrying that burden yourself? If you are, Repent. Merciful Father, again, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the Gospel of John that we have learned so much from over this last few years. And as we move forward, we just ask that you would illuminate this to our hearts. Let us bring glory and honor to you. Let us lay aside this weight that we are carrying because Christ paid it all. He's the author and the finisher. Let us bring glory and honor to him. Lord, we love you and we praise your holy name. And it's Christ's name we all pray. All of God's children said.